Hey there, anglers, and welcome to episode three of SAA Guide Talk. I'm your host and SAA Guide, Mitch Carter. And I'm Ethan Hallfield. I'm Heck Guide here with Southern Appalachian Anglers. Unfortunately, Paul isn't able to join us for this one today. Um, and we had to switch up on our topics today, actually. We're going to switch gears and talk about something that's a little bit re- relevant for us today. And that is, when should I go out? Yeah. When yeah. should I go out and fish? Is the water going to be too hot? Mainly from a safety perspective. Yes. Um, we'll talk about some stuff with the fish in the summertime, what to look for, fish in the wintertime, what to look, what to look for, and kind of all that jazz. So Yeah, so this is something um, that I kind of thought of when we were trying to discuss what topics we, we wanted for the podcast. And um, in the spirit of being a little bit different um, to other, I guess, fishing podcasts, you could say, we wanted to let you guys know when it was and wasn't okay to go out. like Or not when it was okay, necessarily, but whether or not it was safe. Um, because we get the question a lot, or we just see a lot of people on the river doing a lot of really unsafe things. Yes, and <laughs> it's pertinent to today as well, when we're recording yeah. this anyway. Um, because we've recently gotten some pretty heavy rain, a lot heavier than I mm-hmm. think anyone was expecting. I know it. Um, back where I live at, north of Asheville, got about four inches of rain since yesterday evening to when we're recording now, um, which has been, like I said, pretty unexpected. Um, and that, you know, can happen in the summertime pretty frequently. So we'll we'll kind of dive into some of those things and hopefully some of these tips will help you, um, you know, if you're planning a fishing trip coming up here or um, looking to book a guide trip through whoever, you know, that way you can kind of get an understanding of why things are the way that they are. If something happens and a trip cancels because of high water or maybe it's too cold or whatever and we'll kind of give you some background information on that yeah yeah so this this kind of spurred because uh um paul wasn't able to join us and um like i said we had to switch up the topics and ethan and i were like well you know since it's just going to be me and you what should we talk about and um we we're going to talk about fly patterns and a few other things which will be maybe another day where mm-hmm. it's just me and ethan or me and paul or whoever um but this kind of spurred because I was just, you know, doing my thing, running a trip, running a backcountry trip, and apparently it didn't rain as hard where I was at as it did where Ethan was at, and I had like three texts from Ethan when I got out of the water, like, hey man, just checking in, you okay? And I was like, yeah, I'm fine, and it didn't really rain that hard where I was at, but apparently everywhere else it rained pretty hard, and we had to, I know I had to cancel my trip, I don't know if Ethan had to reschedule anything for for him quite yet i guess that's to be determined but anyway um yeah so one thing that we have to do as guides is we have to make the call as to whether or not take people out um those calls are no one likes to make them no one likes to be put in that decision or no one has to be put in that position rather to have to make those calls um and it's probably our least favorite part about guiding is is having to make last minute calls due to the weather and having to call people and be like hey like it's just not going to be safe tomorrow or hey like these fishing conditions just aren't going to be great tomorrow and you know um those are calls that we've we've made to many people some of which you may who may be listening to this podcast um but um it's like I say, or at least for everything that we have to do. Um, but ultimately, you know, I, I know of a lot of people getting messed up in a big way, um, on the, on the water that have just completely disregarded the, you know, the flow of the river, uh, the weather, you know, what the weather is going to do, you know, before, during and after they're on the water. Um, 
and you know a lot of people just get hurt um unfortunately i know a few instances where people have been killed um not personally knew of them but um heard of them being killed and uh thankfully knock on wood we haven't had i was just checking it we haven't had any deaths and i again this was just from a a, a google search i don't i haven't seen anything about there being any deaths on the nolichucky this year um but i have seen at least one on the french broad um on a more serious note um and like i say for last season how how many people i i don't know to be honest with you yeah um but you know it's not just on the on the big rivers to worry about either yeah um you know there you can get just as hurt on a small trout stream way back up in the mountains 100 percent um and, and we'll talk about it a little bit more as well but uh kind of reiterate off of what mitch was saying about making a call so the way i look at it is kind of my philosophy is is that in addition to us putting y'all on fish um your safety is also our number one priority as well yeah. right so um if i'm not comfortable doing something we're definitely not going to do it um, right and you know those calls are always tough to make because we love our jobs. We love getting to do what we do. Um, we live vicariously for y'all when we go out and take y'all fishing. And it's a, I mean, we read this before in the first episode, it's a blast being able to show y'all a new technique and watch you be successful with it. But at the same time, there's no fish worth getting hurt over. Um, and plus two, when you think about, you know, if the conditions are that bad, you're probably not going to catch anything anyway. So yeah, we'd just rather, you know, reschedule it or, or go other routes um but i think let's just uh let's just go ahead and jump right into it if we will let's uh let's talk about mm-hmm. summertime we'll start off with that yeah um things to look for in the summertime so the biggest things that i look for as far as from a safety perspective is uh, one of them being thunderstorms um that's one thing you have to watch out for in the summertime around here really severe thunderstorms that could pop up out of nowhere um, now I don't know if we'd want to jump into what we call it last time, Ethan's science corner last time, yes. but, um, that's might, the new thing. Yes, it is. So, but our area around here is prone to very severe thunderstorms in the summertime. And, you know, that can happen relatively frequently, depending on the year. It's actually happened pretty regularly this past year. Um, that's one thing I always keep in mind is whether the chance of those is going to be severe enough to where we might have to call it for the sake of just pure safety is lightning something you never want to mess with. Um, if you go on Google and look up videos or pictures of fishing rods struck by lightning, it's pretty impressive. <laughs> like, yeah. and you know, you have to think about, especially on larger river systems, like the French bar or the Noel Chucky, when you're on a boat, you're going to be the tallest thing around in the middle of the river. Right. Yeah. Um, or just on any big body of water in general, it doesn't have to be French bar or Noel Chucky. It could be like the Watauga, the South Holson in Tennessee, mm-hmm. um, or really any other large body of water lake, especially. Um, mm-hmm. and when you're the tallest thing around, that's not a good position to be in when you got a storm, it rolls in. Right. Um, so as far as like, let's say, for example, you were one to come fishing up here in the summertime. Um, one thing you want to look for when, like I'd say, like a day before you go out is what are the chance of thunderstorms and where are you going to be at? Um, so and I guess that also leads into is in the event that you did get caught in a severe storm, do you have cell service? Do you have ability to call someone and let them know that you're hurt? Um, I think one thing that gets people in the kind of sticky situations and addition to that is that some people will just go off willy nilly somewhere and then not tell anyone where they're going yeah and then they get hurt and then they're stuck up there Mm -hmm. right and so 
Thunderstorms are a big thing that I look for. And, you know, some of them are, for the most part, you'll hear some big, loud cracks of thunder, and that might be it. But it's still something you don't want to mess with. Lightning is something you never want to play around with. So if you hear thunder and it sounds pretty close, put your rod down and just go ahead and get out of there as quickly as you can. Um, another thing, and this is something that a lot of people don't realize that happens around here pretty quickly, and all the old-timers around here called thunder boomers. And I know, Mitch, you've probably ran to this a couple of times. I know I have fishing mm-hmm. where you'll be, you know, down a valley somewhere. It's a beautiful day and you're fishing there in the afternoon. You hear kind of these rumblings off in the distance, maybe a distant thunderstorm. And all of a sudden the water level will start rising out of nowhere. Yeah. And in some <laughs> trout streams around here, especially yeah. that water can come up very very quickly yep all um, of a sudden there it is there it is right mm-hmm. so a couple things to look out for with that um one thing that i've noticed when i've seen these things happen is that there's a few things that will always occur one is that the water will suddenly get louder um like i'll notice it and it might just be me from where i'm outside all the time where i'll start noticing that the water just sounds louder than what it did a few minutes ago um i might see rocks suddenly start disappearing underwater that were once above water um dingy water coming dingy in. water yep coming down when you start seeing like debris start floating down like leaves sticks whatever yeah. um that's a pretty dead giveaway the water's coming up and what i tell people the best thing you can do in that situation is just get out of there as quickly as you possibly can because you don't know how fast that water's coming up it could be raining there could become a torrential downpour up on the ridge line somewhere five ten miles upstream of you mm-hmm. and then you'll have no idea until that water starts coming down to you because the I guess we'll just jump right into my science corner. Why not? So I thought we were uh, already there. Are we already there? All right. Fair I thought enough. so. So yeah. um, <laughs> with that being said, the way that a lot of these ridgelines set up around here is a lot of your trout streams start up very high in elevation. And the gradient of those trout streams is extremely steep. So as the water comes down um, from the ridgeline, from all those little springs, little creeks, little branches or whatever, starts all forming up and getting into like the main stem of the watershed down the valley, um, that water's got a pretty insane amount of force behind it. And so you have that high velocity of water that's just constantly coming down. It's only going to go in one direction, which is downhill to where you're at. And like I mentioned, that water could rise a couple inches or it could even rise a couple of feet. Um, the safest thing you can do is if you're caught in that situation is just to simply just get out on the bank, ideally next to the on the side of whatever the trail you're getting out of is on um, or wherever the road is that you're walking by or whatever. Let's say you're somewhere out in the middle of Pisgah or Nanahill National Forest. There's usually like a trail or a forest or a road that goes right by a stream. So get out on the side that has that if you can and wait there for a second. And if it starts, you know, rising, you start seeing rocks disappearing, just go ahead on back out. Yeah, just get to some kind of high ground that isn't a boulder in the middle of the river. Yes. <laughs> um, Essentially. Yes, and that's really the two biggest things I look for in the summertime. And it's like I said, me and Mitch have been both caught off guard several times on our own, like just, just personally fishing yeah. um, where that water will just rise in nothing. Yeah. And it can turn a good day of fishing into suddenly a very bad day of fishing very quickly. If you're not careful. Yeah. Ethan's right. You, especially in those, those steeply graded trout streams that you come across where you'll find, you know, usually where you're going to find wild trout in the area. Um, like I say, coming off a, of, you know, like the David center looking glass coming off of Mount Pisgah or, you know, any of the streams coming off of Mount Mitchell or black mountain, that, that water 
that that stream has such a steep gradient that all of a sudden it comes up on you at nothing. Mm-hmm. Like I've been on some of those streams before where, you know, you're sitting there pretty and I actually had this happen on a trip where, um, we waited across something and, uh, you know, we waited across it. It was maybe, you know, it was a run that was like six inches deep. And then, you know, I heard thunder boomer saw water start rising and looked at my clients and said, we need to leave. Like we need to go. They didn't quite understand the reason why yet, but the water was rising. I was like, guys, we've got to get out of here because our, we, we had to cross to get back out. And, you know, thankfully we weren't that far away from it when all that started happening. So we, we walked back and when we waited back across that same spot that was like eight inches before it was up like a foot and a half by the time we got back down there, like it, it was that fast. And this probably only happened, within like I think an hour of mm. being out there. And by the time like um by the time we got back across it and we made it across it fine. It was no issue. But um by the time we got back across it and, you know, got everything packed up in the truck and everything else when we were heading back, it was just I mean, the river was just a torrent. Like it was mm. crazy. And one thing while well, I'm thinking about it too, one thing I've noticed in a lot of higher um gradient trout streams, one thing you can look for in terms of whether you know there might be a chance of that happening or not, is if you are wading through the stream and you notice a lot of the rocks are very unstable, that means that that stream mm-hmm. is very prone to flash flooding because a lot mm-hmm. of those rocks, I mean, I remember when Hurricane Fred hit last year, um, a lot of like, I mean, 50-pound boulders were getting tossed around like ping-pong balls in a river. Yeah, you could hear um, them. It was crazy. Yeah, it was insane. And so, you know, if you get to a stream and it seems like a lot of the rocks are very loose and like you're stepping on them and they're kind of wobbly, that's a pretty dead giveaway. That stream is prone to flash floods. Yeah. Now, in a lower gradient trout stream, like we'll, we'll use a Davidson as an example, the mills would also be an example of as well, North Fork of the mills through there. Um, anywhere where it's got a pretty flat gradient, that water is not going to rise quite as quickly, mm-hmm. but it, you look for those same things as well. Um, one old Tommy trick, I will say, and, and I wouldn't put wouldn't put much stock into this necessarily, but, but there does. is some science behind it. So <laughs> I remember my great granddaddy, when we go out fishing somewhere, he always told me, if you ever want to know if it's going to rain or not, look at the rhododendron leaves. So what will happen, I mean, I think most people are familiar with a rhododendron, oftentimes confused with mountain laurel, but rhododendron, they are frequently found on a lot of trout streams around here. Um, and you'll notice that in most cases, the leaves always point down on them, right? So the reason why they point down is because that plant in particular has to have a high level of moisture in the soil. So it points its leaves down. It's like an umbrella, right? It keeps its root systems in the soil beneath it shaded, which prevents evaporation, which also makes it to where the soil is moist, right? Okay, so if it rains, well, then all the water would just run off away from the root systems and that wouldn't do any good. So what the rhododendron plant will do is it'll actually lift its leaves up and point it straight into the air and you'll actually be able to see the underside of the leaf. And that happens more or less in the summertime when it senses low pressure systems that come through that bring storms. Now, it could just also be sensing a low pressure system coming through and there'd be no rain associated with it or very little rain, right? Um, That's one kind of thing that I always keep an eye out for in the summertime is if I know there's a chance of rain coming through, uh, I look for those rhododendron leaves and all of a sudden you'll see like a top edge of them stick straight up. And by by them sticking straight up, what will happen is the water will run off and then run into the root systems of the plant. And so that way it actually gets moisture into the ground. Is that when you see them like when they kind of boat up? 
Yes. Like canoe up. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yes. I've seen They'll that. They'll curl yeah. up too. Um, I think we should also mention Widowmakers too, since you know we're, we're talking about oh, all this yeah. right now. Um, yeah. So one thing to look for here in the Southern Appalachians, because we do have a lot of, I mean, most areas you're going to be fishing at are in forests, right? Um, if it has rained... Or yeah, if it's windy. especially on the Davidson. Yes, the, the Davidson. Davidson. Well, anywhere that's got um, a lot of dead hemlock trees. So mm-hmm. here's here's some more of my uh, sciencey knowledge for y'all. Um, hemlock trees are still pretty predominant around here, but a few years ago we were this area was hit with a um, a bout of what they call hemlock woolly adelgid. It was a bug that was brought over from Asia. It killed off a lot of the hemlock trees around here, and a lot of those dead trees are still standing. However, um, a lot of the trees, once they die and they start decomposing, they're able to absorb water or the, the rotting wood, I should say, is able to absorb water. And this is generally something you need to look out for when it's windy after a rainstorm. Because um, if that tree, that dead tree, suddenly has a ton of weight built into it and it starts swaying back and forth, that makes the chances of it falling very high, mm-hmm. right? So if you're out in the woods, you need to be kind of careful of that, especially if it's really windy. That's, you know, like I said, some people don't even think twice about it. Well, no, it, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, I'm, I'm, it's, it's, it's a relatively rare thing. I will say that. I mean, um, I've only ever seen, like, in my guiding career, one tree, and we were, like, a pretty fur piece away from it, too. But it was actually on a day up on Shelton. There was no wind, <laughs> slick, calm. It had rained the night before. But I remember watching a, and it was actually a sycamore tree, a dead limb out of a sycamore tree, just just randomly down river from most crash about oh, thirty feet yeah. up and straight down into the water. Yeah. Um, you told me about that. And, I think you know it's one of those things that it's something to be mindful of. It's just mm-hmm. one thing you just kind of need to be pay attention to. I wouldn't stress about it. I wouldn't necessarily let it keep you from fishing. But if it is windy and it has rained recently, you might want to kind of throw that in your back pocket in terms of stuff to look for yeah. for your own personal safety. So Well, the thing is, is, you know, to kind of sum all of this up, it, it's more about being just self-aware in nature, mm-hmm. right? I mean, you, you know, you can look for this at this condition. You can look for that at that condition. You just have to keep your wits about you and and more or less, I mean, I don't want this to sound like it's going to sound, but you just have to use common sense. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, is it is it windy outside? I mean, is there 30-mile-an-hour winds? I mean, who wants to fish in like 30, 40-mile-an-hour winds anyway? But, I mean, you know, you just kind of have to keep your wits about you as far as what's going on, what's the weather doing around me, um, and... Honestly, you know, where people get hurt the most in the wild is when they go out and they don't take into account that it is the wild. Right. It's Mother Nature. Mother Nature does not care with all of its unknown variables you get whether or not you make it out okay. Right. I mean, you're – I tell people, you know, we get this question all the time about worrying about – bears or snakes or whatever i can count how many times on one hand i've seen a bear on a guide trip right yeah i mean it's actually it's actually cool when it happens because i love seeing them um for us it's cool (laughs) yeah absolutely what what i tell people is that you know the the biggest thing you need to worry about in the woods whether you're fishing or hiking or whatever is yourself um 100 it's yourself you're you are going to get yourself in more trouble than any other critter will um and to kind of lead off of that too you know because I'm thinking about this from the perspective of someone, you know, not having experiences as much as we do. Um, how would you tell 
that let's say a trout stream is unsafe to wait. Well, one handy thing you can look at are USGS gauges, which are found in yes. most drainages around here. Not every stream has one, um, but most major drainages do have a USGS gauge on it that will rate the average water flow. And that's what we kind of rely on as well. Um, so there's every multi- day, every day, yeah. there's multiple ones on the French broad. There's one on the Davidson. Now some of them are really fancy and they have things like temperature gauges and cameras, cameras. Yep. French broad's got a couple cameras on mm-hmm. now dissolved auction levels. Um, but let's say you're going to fish a stream within a drainage that has a gauge on it. Right. So, uh, we'll use a Davidson again. Um, let's say you're going to go fish looking glass Creek, right. And you're wondering whether it's going to be too high or not to fish. Well, if you look at the Davidson river gauge, and you look at it, and it usually has it about a week um, previous, like the the water readings. And it will be re- reading in cubic feet per second. That's how they measure the flow of water, right? And so the Davidson, depending on the time of year, will run anywhere from like 70 to like 140 in the summertime, give or take. That's about its average. Um, and if you see it go up any higher than that average, it's a pretty good indication that any of the tributaries are also going to be very high as well. Um, so if you see that water level suddenly start rising, that probably means that it's going to also be high wherever tributary you're going to be fishing on. If that kind of makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, to kind of pair with that too, another thing, you know, if you're going out on a tail race, um, Mm. like what we were talking about earlier with the South Holston and the Wataga, you've got to pay attention to your, um, dam release schedules. Yes. And I would say that a lot of people have gotten... Or the Tuckasegee. The Tuckasegee, too. I was, yeah. I was about to say that... The Tuck uh, stays pretty consistent with its release. They release pretty much every day. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you can kind of count on it also being more changed by precipitation than than anything. Um, but go ahead with what you're going to say about... I was, just, I was just going to mention, you know, that's that can also be dependent on how close you are to the dam as well. Yeah, um, cause exactly. Like the, yeah. like the South Holson where it's at and its topography um where the south olson river comes out of the bottom of south olson lake it's pretty wide and and narrow through there so the water it will rise quickly but it's not going to rise as quickly as the watauga will where it comes out of wilbur dam yeah wilbur's like wilbur's a oh gosh (laughs) if you've never seen um the water come out of wilbur dam there that is one of the most impressive things it's awesome um, when they open up all those gates and you start seeing that water coming out, it'll it'll humble you in a it's big really cool. way. And that's one thing, again, I mean, most of these, um, whether it's a TVA lake or Duke Energy, they will have sirens right there at the dam that will give a warning that says, you know, you need to get out now. Yeah. Um, you will know when to leave. <laughs> but with that being said, if you're like a mile downriver from there, you're probably yeah. not going to hear it. So you need to be very careful on tail races. Um, and sometimes they do not follow those generation schedules. Not, that's not something, I mean, you can rely on it. I would say they're pretty reliable, but I wouldn't, it's something again, when you're fishing a tail race, if you're pretty, I would say within two or three miles of the dam, just kind of be mindful of your surroundings. Um, one thing a guide told me when I was a kid on the South Holston years ago, it was one of the first times I ever fished the South Holston. This guy down there who, was rowing a drift boat told me he was like yep if you see them geese get out of the water it's time for you to get out of the water so <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah i mean with tail races that's that's one thing that you know you want to pay very close attention to because when the water comes out of the bottom of a tail race it's it's coming it's coming hard mm-hmm. and i mean i would argue well not argue but the watauga's got a steeper gradient than the south holston yes yeah and so, you know, the Soho will get up, but it's not going to 
maybe necessarily be as torrential all of a sudden, maybe as the Watauga. But yes. like I know on the Watauga, when it's coming, it's coming. Yep. And it's coming hard. Yep. And, and there's been a lot <laughs> yeah. of people, unfortunately, lost their lives as a result yeah. of that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, uh, people lose their lives on major rivers every year. I mean, but yeah, you're, you're right. I mean, it's it, you, bottom, the long and the short of it is, I mean, you, you, we said all that to kind of say this, use the information that's given to you in 2022 to help you determine these things. Mm-hmm. Like there's a bunch of old, there's a bunch of different ways and, you know, to kind of to look and, and, and figure these things out on your own. If you, if you're not looking at a gauge or something like that, and those are very valid things to look at, but more to this point, you know, you have, we're just saying you have the resources now, right? You know, I know in East Tennessee, TVA has got schedules for the South Holston, and the Watauga when they're releasing out all the dams out there. And mm-hmm. even, you know, if it's not for a tail race or just, there's just information about it, you know, open right. to the public. And you can usually call like, you know, call us, call, you know, a, a shop somewhere close to yeah. where you're going to be going to. And if you're not sure and just ask because, um, they're, they're not going to want to put you in a dangerous situation either. Right. So, you know, if you're, if you're really unsure, just call the closest place to wherever you're going and just ask. Yeah. Um, cause generally most guides are on top of things when it comes to that, because this is how we make our living. So, yeah. um, and with that all being said, wintertime fishing too, let's, Let's jump into that a little bit. Mm-hmm. We might expand on this later on when it's actually, you know, cold because winter time is kind of a little, still a little far off right now. Um, but with wintertime fishing, I would say that the biggest thing you need to worry about if you're going out in the wintertime is being cold, obviously, hypothermia. Um, now, that can come down to a lot of different factors. I would say, you know, water temperature is obviously the biggest thing. But, you know, I've actually been fishing out on some streams where the water temperature is warmer than the air temperature is. Um, ironically enough. Now granted that's means that like, you know, water temperature might be 40, the air temperature is like 38. So it's still pretty cold. Yeah. Um, but I would say, you know, the biggest way to stay safe in the winter time is don't fish when it's like below freezing because that's just, I mean, why number one, you're just going to be miserable. I mean, number well, two, but you know, at the same time, it's like, you know, if you fall in and, you know, most people obviously are going to be wearing waders in the wintertime, you know, if you slip on a rock and fall in, your waders fill up with water. That's that's when things that's start getting kind of sketchy. Well, the thing is that I would say about fishing in the wintertime, too, is you have to pay that or you have to take that much more precaution mm-hmm. than I mean, you still have to worry about things in the summertime, summertime as far as, you know, pop up thunderstorms and this and that. But in the wintertime. If you go out there by yourself, you're five miles up into some trout stream, it's 32 degrees outside, and you didn't tell anybody where you were going, you fall in, fill your waders up full of water, and you have a five-mile walk back to your truck, well, you've just put yourself in a very bad situation very, very quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, now, if you're five miles up in the backcountry and it's July, you fall in, it's fine. Probably feels pretty good. But it's something that you have to think about in the wintertime that much more because right. it can literally be life or death that quick. And I had um, – I, I was on a guide trip – early this spring and I took a gentleman out and um it was probably about I mean we still got when it's pretty cold don't get us wrong it was I want to say it was probably about 40 45 and uh me and Paul were running a group trip and he took some folks down river and I had some folks just kind of right where we started at and 
um, I had a gentleman fall in, um, just kind of tripped on something, fell in as people do on the river. Um, and he fell in and got water in his waders. And I looked at him, I was like, you know, we got him out, helped him out of the water, dropped everything I was doing. I was like, Hey man, like, are you okay? And he's like, yeah, I'm fine. I can keep going. And I just said, I hate to tell you, but you're not going to keep going. And he was like, he was like, why not? I said, dude, I said, hypothermia is a real thing. And he, I was like, you're not feeling it right now. I said, you're not going to feel it right now. I said, but give it about 10 minutes. And I said, you're going to be freezing. And the guy was like, okay, yeah. You know, so he, he followed me back up to my truck. I always keep a hypothermia blanket. And, um, I wrapped that guy up, you know, we always tell people to bring a towel, you know, no matter what time of year it is, whether it's summer, spring, fall, whatever, we always tell people to bring a towel in case they fall in, they can dry off. Also, a cha- you know, a spare change of clothes. This guy did the right thing. He brought both a towel and a change of clothes. Um, so props to him, but that guy got, you know, dried off, clothes changed, everything mm-hmm. was cool. And that guy was still sitting there, you know, bone dry, like lips were turning blue, like shivering. Yeah. And, and I cut the truck on and I told him, I said, here's my keys, you know, turn the heat on, like wrap up, hang out and get warm. Yeah. And, you know, also he, he got out and then, you know, he'd go watch his fish. Uh, I felt so bad for him, but he'd watch his fish from, you know, he was sitting in the, sitting in the sun, warming up in the sun. But I mean, that guy turned blue really quick mm-hmm. and... And I'll, I'll add to that too, you know, the biggest thing in terms of, you know, if you're going out fishing in the wintertime is what you wear can make or break your fishing trip. Just in general comfort, you know, I mean, yeah. um, safety aside, the how long you can stand to be out there is kind of dependent on what you're wearing in the first place. So yeah, what I usually tell people is that cotton, anything is like one of the worst things you can wear in the wintertime. Yeah. <laughs> because what will happen, even if the water's cold and you're in waders, right? Mm-hmm. Those waders are not, I mean, they're kind of breathable, but they're still not the most breathable things in the world because they're waterproof, right? And as a result of that, your feet will start sweating, right? And you might build up a little bit of condensation, right? And cotton will hold on and retain that moisture. And that's why a lot of people's feet get very cold, even like mm-hmm. in the spring in like April or May, you know, when I was hearing about like the water, people's feet being cold or whatever, right? Yeah. Um, wool socks will help tremendously with that. Yeah. Um, if you can get it, my favorite pair are, I've got like a couple pairs of alpaca wool. Those things are <laughs> awesome. Um, now, with that too, a lot of people will think that the more they double up on clothes, like, you know, if I put on like three sweatshirts, I'm going to stay warm. And, and that's not necessarily true either. Um, cause one of the biggest things as to whether you're warm or not is from insulation, right? And that insulation comes from actually having like gaps in your clothing where warm air can build up. Oh yeah. Um, so like down jackets, one of the best things you can wear. Cause even if a down jacket, um, gets wet in most cases, that'll keep you warmer than a, uh, like a cotton hoodie or yeah. something like that. Love um, my down jacket. Yes. Mm. And so fleece is another good option. Mm-hmm. Um, is like a base layer or something along those lines. Um, and also too, darker colors will help keep yes. you warm as well. So black, dark olive, brown, that, that absorbs more. But pro tip, socks should always be white. Black socks. Do you know about this? No, enlighten me. Black, <laughs> black socks will always sweat and be, have more, have more condensation on them than white socks will. Hmm. I don't know what it is. That's like way above 
my I was hoping you would know something scientifically about this. I ho- I hope you knew I-, I was hoping you knew this. So I wouldn't just be here. Um well my my back going back to you know how colors work, you know, so <laughs> <laughs> you're teaching me something. I'm gonna think about oh, this a little boy. bit. Um darker colors do absorb more UV radiation from the sun. And right. you know they they absorb from more the heat sun, in general. Yeah, but but they absorb more heat in general. Yeah. Um and so as a result of that, if you know we're going off that logic here, um I would imagine that you know a darker colored sock would cause you to perspirate more inside your waders, which at least it does for me. Well, fair enough. And everyone's a little bit different too. Like everyone's tolerances are always a little bit different, but, um, my father-in-law and brother-in-law will say the exact same thing. They're the ones that put me onto it. Ah, okay. Yeah. Well, and it works. So white socks underneath waders. I'll have to try that. That's what I say all the time. And what I do in the winter time is, um, and this is an old boy scout trick, not, that I well, I was in the Boy Scouts for like a year, but I actually learned this from a Boy Scout after I was out of Boy Scouts and already into my adult life. But um, <laughs> he uh, he told me that um, Eagle Scout he told me that if you wear a white, just like moisture wicking sock, mm-hmm. and then put a wool or knitted sock over that, that is the best thing you can do to keep your feet warm. Interesting, because if you just wear and I do it every time it's cold. Because if you take um, just a regular wool sock or regular, um, and now, now they've got merino wool and all that stuff nowadays, but I'm talking about like old fashioned knit, like old fashioned wool, like that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Like, and you can even take like a like a cotton knitted sock. And I mean, I know what you said about cotton, um, but I found that you can take just a regular boot sock, like what you'd wear just like with Irish setters or you know some kind of hunting boot or something like that. Take a dry fit sock, put a wool sock over that or knitted sock over that. And, you know, your feet might still retain some of that moisture, but your feet will still be pretty warm just kind of from the insulation. And I found a lot of times that it doesn't matter whether you're standing in or it doesn't matter what you've got on your feet. If you're standing in three feet of snow or if you're standing in three feet of running cold water and, you know, March, mm-hmm. your feet are just going to be cold. And I'll add something and, to that while I'm thinking about that. Um, studs. Metal studs, yeah. Do not wear metal studs in the up. winter, yeah. Um, yeah. Because I, I've tried metal studs. I've worn. I used to wear them a lot with felt boots, which is what most people wear around here. Um, and everyone's got their own opinion on rubber versus felt, whatever. But felt the the downside to felt is it does when you're walking through snow. Felt does stick a lot of snow to yeah. you. But with that being said, if Paul were here, he'd be our only advocate for rubber boots. <laughs> Paul Paul is our rubber boot guy. He will not wear felt. But with that being said, <laughs> in my experience, felt or studs, I've slipped more and fallen more with studs than I have anything else. I'm sure yeah. they might have their time and place sometimes, but for around here, I've never seen a use for them. If anything, they're more of a detriment. Well, um, I wonder if if they wouldn't work a little bit better and straight ice possibly possibly like an well one one way that i could see them working is if you're you know the the riverbank's really icy you're having to walk up and down the bank you know on a guide trip or just to traverse through wherever you're trying to fish at like i wonder if studs wouldn't almost act more of like you know those snow cleats that you can buy yeah yeah Yeah. like that that wrap around your shoe but Mm -hmm. also you could just buy those (laughs) fair enough you could also i guess i mean you know to each their own that's all subjective but ethan's right he and I have both found 
that wearing studs, whether it's the wintertime or the summertime, if you get on a big rock that's maybe say got like a bunch of algae on it, those studs turn into ice skates really quick. Yep. And it's better for you just to have straight rubber or straight felt. We go with straight felt. Again, like I say, that's subjective to everybody. Um, but we, we, we've always, you know, never been been huge fans of studs. Right. And I would say a lot of this stuff, too, um, is subjective to a certain degree because everyone's got their own tolerances when it comes to cold right. in the wintertime. So, um, like like me, like I can go out in the dead of January and as long as it's not like 40 degrees and raining, which I'd argue is worse than it being like 32 and snowing. Yeah. Um, much worse. That's much worse. Um, you know, I I can be just fine, but there's other people that can't, that can't handle that. And that's fine too. Um, I'd say when it comes to wintertime fishing, we'll expand on this more, like I said, as we get closer to the wintertime. But, um, the biggest thing is if you're fishing in the winter, and you suddenly start just feeling like you're getting cold. One of the things to look for for hypothermia, I've found, is people who start getting hypothermic is they start to lose their train of thought very easily, mm-hmm. right? So they their their voice gets kind of shaky. Their their train of thought just kind of you, know, you start to lose focus, right? Um, if you start having a hard time concentrating or really, if you're just getting too cold in general, just, just get out. Like there's, there's no point in warm standing up. there and, yeah. and, and, and warm up or just, you know, go to the house, drink some coffee or hot chocolate and, um, just save the fishing for a warmer day. The, the nice thing about where we live at though, is that we can have days where one day it'll be 25 and blowing snow. And then the next day it could be 50 degrees. And sunny and beautiful. And Ethan will always ask you to go fishing on the day that is twenty five and blowing snow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm a little, I'm a little crazier than the rest of these fellers are. Um, well, I do have my limits, but I, I go with you, so I'm not that much better. So yeah, fair enough. <laughs> but I get cabin fever real bad anyway. But oh lord, um, yes. I guess to to kind of start wrapping it up a little bit. Um, I think we need to go over with all this being said, like just some things that just some like just basic safety stuff that people could bring with them. When they're sure. out, I think that'd be a good idea. So yeah. one thing I never leave the house with, um, I always have in my pack a waterproof first aid kit. Mm-hmm. Um, now, it's not the most, we'll call it, let's say, it, it doesn't have like a tourniquet or, you know, like bleed stop or anything like that in it. It's not like a pure trauma kit, but it, it does have like, you know, gauze, you know, uh, disinfectant, things of that nature. The um, basics. The basics. Yeah. And because statistically speaking, with all this stuff being said, statistically speaking, you are more likely to get hurt in your own house than you are fishing, with all this being said. Yeah. Um, fishing is one of <laughs> yeah. the safest outdoor activities that you can do. Yeah. Um, but there's times where it can hit the fan. and When things go wrong out in the woods, they can go really wrong, yeah. I guess is the point of it. Yeah. So it's always good to be prepared. I would... You know, Mitch was talking about earlier as an example. Let's say you go out and you don't tell someone where you're going. That's mistake number one. Always let Always. somebody know where you're going to be at, just a general area. Like every morning when I get up and I tell my wife goodbye, I tell her I'm going to this river and I will be somewhere in this general vicinity. And if you don't hear from me by this time, then you know to start looking for me, right? Yeah. And, and because we, a lot of the places we go, we don't have cell service. Yeah. And we communicate as guides a lot too. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, 
you know, we always pretty much know where, where we're at. Right. And that's why Ethan idea. messaged me today, like, hey, man, you okay? <laughs> and, and judging by what you asked me earlier, I knew I knew where you were at, and I knew yeah. you'd be fine up there. Yeah. Um, but we're always careful with each other as well because, um, well, we we obviously don't want any of us or anyone else getting hurt either. And, no. Um, that's one thing that we always try to do. Like I said, we prioritize people's safety over everything else, and we're not going to – take anyone out if we don't feel comfortable with it right um but yeah first aid kit always a great thing to bring we always recommend when people come out with us to bring a change of clothes um i would say too one thing that people don't think about in the summertime going back to that a little bit is heat exhaustion as well i just thought about that as well make sure you're drinking water Make sure you're drinking a lot of water when you're fishing, especially out in like a small mouth float or something like that. And sun clothes in the summertime. Yes. Very appropriate. You do not want to be in the middle of the river in a t-shirt and shorts and flip-flops with no sunscreen. And even if you do have sunscreen, you are probably going to fry your skin. Sun clothes, sun clothes, sun clothes, 100%. Long pants, yeah. long shirts, sun hoodies are great. Yeah. Buffs. Buffs are good, too. And Buffs. even in the wintertime, you know, you can get sunburnt in the wintertime. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, you've water... usually got clothes on in the wintertime, but, yeah, you're right. I mean, I mean, one of the worst sunburns I ever got was from snowboarding. Yeah. And... Yeah, that's true. Because <laughs> yeah. the sunlight reflects off of snow, ice yep. reflects off of water, and that bounces straight back up onto you. Um so we always try to bring plenty of sunscreen when we go out, obviously, and make sure we reapply it. Well, and that being um, said, too, sunglasses. Sunglasses also, absolutely. Do not get caught on the water without sunglasses when it's it's bright. I mean, yes. if you're if you're way, way, way up into somewhere and it's dark and you're on a, you know, maybe a brook trout stream or something like that, you know, probably not going to need sunglasses. But it will literally save your vision. Mm-hmm. I mean, if, if I would have went out every time it was it was really bright out, on the river with sunglasses i mean we'd i'd probably my eyeballs would be probably fried out like i mean just you got to have those sunglasses got to have sun hoodies you know and just generally protecting yourself from the sun um mm-hmm. but good in the sun winter, hat too it's a good sun hat yep good sun hat's always a good call um, um and like i said water 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 um, yeah because when you're fishing sometimes you don't realize that you're not drinking water and the day goes on and all of a sudden, it's one o'clock. You haven't even drank a drop. Yeah, and fishing, I've been that guy. You know, for that long, <laughs> you know, constantly, it, it can get a little exhausting after a while. Yeah, it sneaks up on you. It's yeah, it sneaks up yeah. on you. Oh, and you know, with that too, if you you know you carry a pack with you when you fish, which I recommend that you do anyway. Um, throw in like a granola bar. Throw in something in mm-hmm. there, just a, a high calorie snack. Um, like kind bars are great. You know, anything along those lines. Um, just something to have with you in case let's say you were stuck somewhere overnight got caught in a flash flood like you know you gotta think about what you would do in that situation right yeah um, which ultimately you know if you weren't in the water in serious danger or injury you could in theory wait it out yep. but as ethan said you don't want to you know thirst yourself or you know, you want to make sure that some calories are in your body because you're way way too far up there well you're going to need that to, mm-hmm. to get back out and now I'm thinking about it. I'll add some. I'll add another little tidbit to this as well. Um, what if you get lost when you're out fishing? What do you do? Um, yeah. The best thing you can do, like let's just say you get lost in general, like maybe you're on a backcountry stream somewhere. Um, you get way way high up. You forgot where you put it out on the river. Everything starts looking the same, which is very easy to do around here. Um, how where how would you know to get out? And the best piece of advice I could give 
is to follow the river down because all yes, rivers I was about lead, to say. <laughs> all rivers lead somewhere around here eventually. You will run into a house or, or a campground or a campground or, yeah. or a forest service road or something eventually <laughs> if you follow that river down. Um, so that, I would say this is just a, in general, not just necessarily fishing. Like if you're hunting, hiking, whatever, you get lost in the woods, find a little, it can be a little trickle, like a little branch and just start following that creek down and, or follow a ridgeline down too. That's always usually a pretty safe bet. Just start walking downhill. Mm-hmm. But you know, if you find a creek, even better, follow that thing down and eventually you will find some sort of civilization. Um, that's usually one of the best things you can do when you're out. Um, on a river and let's say you get lost somewhere but well one thing that saved me from being um sorry excuse me one thing that saved me from being lost one time was i was over in uh limbo wilderness with a buddy of mine and we were just day hiking and we took a wrong turn went down a wrong trail all of a sudden had no clue where we were at mm-hmm. and we simply just I mean, we're local boys, so we know where all the ridge lines are and know what they are and which direction they point and every, every all of that. But another thing, too, was knowing just knowing the layout of the land and being mm-hmm. able to walk up on a ridge and being like, oh, okay, I know where we're at. Oh, we came down that ridge? Okay, let's go that direction. And then that's what, that's right. what eventually we did because we were like, okay, it's getting dark. We need to get up on a ridge and see where we're at before the sun, you know, sun goes down. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we were walking out with the sun going down, and you couldn't see the ridges really in the distance. And... Still made it out just fine, just knowing the layout of the land, which that always helps kind of getting familiar with that. But I mean, if you're ne- somewhere you've never been before, you know, even if you just don't know the layout of the land, you know, not everybody's Daniel Boone. <laughs> right. <laughs> but I mean, even if you don't, again, it kind of circles back to common sense. Okay, I came from that direction. I was going down to the river that way. I need to go this way to get out of here. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, and just kind of putting two and two together. It also helps to look at a map too of where you're going, I think. Well, yeah, I mean, maps. Yeah. Right. But I guess that goes without saying. Yeah. So, I guess it goes without saying. Uh, That's a handy, handy thing, being able to throw a bearing from a compass on a map. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying you need to have, you know, Lewis and Clark level preparedness every single time you just want to go fish but like you know if you're if you're <laughs> if you're really really getting out there and really really getting in the back country these are definitely some things that you should keep in mind if you're unfamiliar with just really where you're at another little tip too yeah. um surveyor's tape or flagger tape um yeah. that's a handy thing to have and they're yeah. it's cheap you can get a whole roll of it and just stuff it in your pack somewhere mm-hmm. um i've done this before in the past too when i've went out and explored some places I weren't familiar with, right? Because mm-hmm. um, like I said, once you start fishing and just making your way up a stream, then all of a sudden everything starts looking kind of mm-hmm. similar very quickly, even with people like me and you have been doing this for our entire mm-hmm. life. Um, if you take a second to, like let's say you're walking down a ridge off trail to the river, put a piece of flaggers tape where you dropped in at on the top of the ridge and then put another one like halfway down and then put another mm-hmm. one down um at the creek's edge that mm-hmm. way you can follow and make them like high vis like I've don't done, get the camel ones get like pink fluorescent orange yeah something this is, like that this is coming from, sur- from somebody that surveyed before i started guiding get pink pink is probably better than orange mm-hmm. honestly because there's nothing in nature that's that pink right exactly <laughs> so, pink's one of the rarest colors yeah. in nature so yeah um it, it shows up very well and even at low light you can see it it's like yeah. you know kind of the same theory behind like using like in low light, we'll use flies that have like a pink hotspot on them, like dry mm-hmm. flies or a pink indicator sure. because of the yeah. easiest ones to see. You can mm-hmm. see pink at low light and um, if it's reflective, even better too. Well, to but, add to that too, instead of, 
if you don't have surveyor's tape or, you know, whatever, that's, that's a good tip. But another thing you can do, and I've done this before too, is you can just take your knife and run a bunch of bark off of a tree. Yep. I mean, it's not as efficient and it's not going to show up as much, but, but something I've done that before too, where I've taken a limb and just like maybe laid it across the river or laid it across the rock, or I've taken a bunch of bark and just, you know, stripped it off of a tree with my knife real quick. That way I'm, I could see that big bald spot in a tree and, and you know, be like, Oh I, yeah, I did that. And then kind of circle back to it. Mm-hmm. So, and yeah. you know, this might sound like common sense to a lot of folks and maybe a fish before, especially you don't around think here. about though. I but, mean, and you know, and if you especially you've never done this before, it's to, you know, you don't know to think about this kind of thing. Right. And yeah. like I said, I mean, the chances of you getting hurt or in any sort of bad situation fishing. Yeah. Um, it's, it's relatively low. Cause a lot of streams around here, especially like a lot of delayed harvest, especially where most people go, they're like right next to roads yeah. in, in general. So, I mean, and right Davidson's got a town. Road. Yeah. Davidson's yeah. got a road running right by it. I mean, I, I wouldn't necessarily, I wouldn't worry about it too too much, but it is something to think yeah. about. And People still go missing. Absolutely. I mean, there's there's. I know up at the hatchery over at the Davidson, I saw. Um, I just I think at least two descriptions of people who had went missing recently. Really? Yeah, or at least one. I know at least one. Okay. Um, but, and of course, people bless their hearts, they have signs up for their lost dogs there all the time too, <laughs> but. Yeah, um, it's a, yeah. I mean, even in even in more, you know, well, like mountain campground, mm-hmm. when people go missing up in there. That's a little more backcountry, but um, yeah, it's just it's just one of those things that um, you don't really think about until you're in it. And when you're in it, you don't want to panic, right? You, you want to revert back to what? What is it? What is it? The, I think it's the seals that say this. In the in a heat of a moment situation, you revert back to your lowest level of training, mm-hmm. and you know, at it, putting little tidbits. And I'm not saying that you need to go take a a, a five week outdoorsman backcountry preparedness course. Like that's not what I'm saying. But adding little tidbits of knowledge and just you know, think just generally thinking about these things mm-hmm. is is already a step in the right direction of getting you prepared for it right um and that's kind of almost we're all <laughs> we're kind of getting away from from uh the water safety topic and getting more into backcountry preparedness which is another topic <laughs> <laughs> but it all kind of blends together but it anyway, all kind of blends so. together so we'll probably we'll touch on that more with backcountry preparedness and that was probably a good a good chunk of what we were going to talk about in backcountry preparedness but that's okay we'll we'll, we'll elaborate more it's on all that good next stuff time. anyway it's <laughs> I mean, even for yeah. like I said, people like me and Mitch and and Paul who've been doing this our entire lives, yeah. it's um, you want to have a healthy respect for the environment that you're in. Mm-hmm. I don't care if you're out west somewhere, or around here, or wherever. Um, you want to make sure you know your surroundings, kind of get a general idea of where you're going. Look at the weather. Um, the weather around here can change very rapidly, so always keep that in mind. Um, always check your gauges if you've always, got them. Always check your gauges. And if you feel uncomfortable doing it, just don't do it. This that's, is that's really the biggest thing. Yeah, and this is one thing that I, I remind myself and Ethan and Paul whenever we have to make tough calls like this is if you're thinking that you're going to be 50%, yeah, I can go, and 50%, I can't go, just don't go. Yep. You want it to be 60-40 because 60-40 is, yeah, we'll go out and look at it, but we're probably not going to go. 70-30 is maybe a little bit concerning, but, yeah, we're still going to go, and then so on and so forth. Right. But if it's 50-50 down the line, am I going to make it out alive or not? Never take that chance. Right. <laughs> Never, ever. 
Um, Cause like I said, I mean, things can change so rapidly around here. Sometimes mm-hmm. you don't know until you just go look at it. Yeah. And, and I mean, it can be, it can be high water as much as it can low water. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't want to take up too much more time, but this is something I wanted to mention too, that, um, you know, high water, low water on, you know, class three, four and five rapids Oof. can be just as dangerous as high water. If not maybe a little bit more. If not, maybe a little more bit rocks more. To hit. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, you know, like down on ledges on the French, you know, I ran two trips there earlier this spring and, um, and we went and fished it a few more times, but you know, the French got so low at one point that I was like, I don't want to be out in ledges in low water like that, mm-hmm. you know? And there's been times in Linoli where it can get kind of sketchy when the water gets really low like that. Cause those rocks are poking out all around those rapids and it's what used to be, you have to do, yeah. yeah, what used to be, you know, eight feet of clearance is now four. Right. And then if it gets lower, it turns into like three, two and a half, or maybe not that. You can't get a boat through it. Maybe not that drastic, but yeah, you know what I'm saying. Like you start losing water clearance and you start getting more rocks. Mm -hmm. Which if this is more of a concern if you're if you're floating or rafting or kayaking or canoeing, whatever you know that nature. Um, But low water when you're in serious, you know, you if you're in somewhere where you know that you've got some serious white water ahead, low water can be just as bad, if not worse, than high water. So that's definitely something to keep in mind. You know, we were talking earlier about watching out for the Watauga to get up and the Soho to get up and this to get up and, you know, to listen for, you know, the rising water on, on trout streams. But um, I would say on trout streams, you know, wadeable streams, you don't have to worry about water being low because then you can just walk right through it, obviously. Right. <laughs> but but when you're – this is more pertaining to floating, um, whatever you're doing there. So Yeah, one more thing I'll add to that as well. Um, with river gauges, so those gauges are in specific locations. And so, mm-hmm. you know, one thing – I just kind of thought about this too because this is kind of pertinent to what we were talking about today. Um, when I looked at the water – on the Nolichucky River drainage today, um, or this is kind of what I look for whenever I look and see if the place is going to be fishable or not within the next couple of days. You generally don't want to look at it just at one location. You want to look at it from multiple points because when you look at it, you know, one, let's say you're going, you're planning on going out. Um, the French Broad Marshall, you're not going to check the gauge in Asheville. Well, well, that, but, yeah. you know, you've got like water might not be there at that gauge yet. Yeah, that's, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. so like... You know, for example, when I just looked at Anoli a few minutes ago, downriver was fine. Mm-hmm. But then about eight miles upriver, it was a raging torrent, and the yeah. water takes time to get down to that gauge. So sometimes, yeah. you know, depending on where the gauge is at, it could take that water um, 15 minutes. It can take an hour to rise. Yeah. So you want to kind of be mindful of those things as well. Well, um, and it's it's definitely worth calling, you know, if you're not sure, like, you know, as guides, we keep tabs on this stuff. We're constantly looking at gauges. We probably have like over a dozen different gauges that we check across all of our drainages. Um, but you know, if you're you're the casual fisherman, weekend warrior, whatever, you know, call your marina, call a local guide service, call your local you know boat shop. I know Paul gets a lot of information from Watson's a lot of time mm-hmm. just to see what things you're doing. Right, and I've made many, many a three o'clock run in the morning to go look at water. Yeah. So. And if you're a guide, yeah, you get to do that. And that's really why we have tabs on us because we get up at three in the morning and it's actually, <laughs> it's actually fun. There it's fun it. for me, but you know, it's, yeah, it's, a, it's an experience. I'll just say that. <laughs> so, um, no, nah, but it, it's all good. Um, well guys, I, th- that was a lot of chat and me and Ethan got a lot done today. Yeah, we did. We covered a lot of ground and, 
I know we kind of went over a little bit and started bleeding into the backcountry preparedness thing, but I think that's just because me and Ethan really like talking about that. Absolutely. um, But, yeah, guys, like I say, um, sorry Paul couldn't make it in today. Uh, What we're planning on doing... Uh, the next topic we get when when Paul gets in here is we're wanting to go over some details about our recent nonprofit, um, and I'll save all that stuff for next time to let Paul uh, really be the one to introduce that because um, it's it's uh, a really special thing that we've got going on. Mm-hmm. Um, keep the help help keep the rivers clean around here, and uh, we're really excited about it. We're really passionate about it, and uh, I'll we'll wait till Paul gets here to really um, introduce that you know, fresh on the podcast and really kind of hone that in. Uh, but, uh, guys, I think that is all we've got going on for today. Um, but just make sure to tune in for next time for our second free talk session. Um, and I know at the beginning of this podcast, well, the beginning, the first podcast episode, episode, I should say, rather, um, I said that we were going to do one every two weeks, but, We've enjoyed doing it so much that we've just kind of been doing it every week. <laughs> yep, it's been a lot of fun. We appreciate y'all listening as well. It's yeah, been awesome. we really appreciate everybody listening so far. Um, we've gotten a lot of good feedback. I hope we've made some improvements with the audio. Um, and an update about the video is there's really no update about the video. <laughs> is we're kind of still we're trying working to, on it. Yeah, we're yeah. working on it. We're working on it. We're trying to figure out something other than a GoPro or an iPhone or you know a way over the top expensive DSLR. So if anybody's got any suggestions on that, we would love to hear it. Um, but guys. Bottom line is, um, yeah, tune in for next time and stay safe. This production is brought to you by Southern Appalachian Anglers Guide Service in Asheville, North Carolina, where trusted guides provide exceptional service.